Have you heard the words peer-to-peer lending? Maybe you've seen some banners for Lending Club or Prosper, but wondered what it is and how it works? Today is going to be an introduction from both the borrowing side and the lending side to -to peer-to-peer lending. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October the 15th, 2014. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. This is episode 82 of the show. Today, I have an interview for you with Simon Cunningham, founder of LendingMemo.com. We're going to talk all things peer-to-peer lending today. It's going to be a good introduction, but even have a little bit of advanced knowledge for you. I've been wanting to bring you some information on peer-to-peer lending for a while, and but the problem is that I'm, I'm just not an expert in it. I'm really not. I've never borrowed from a peer-to-peer lender. I've never lent through a peer-to-peer lender. So that's a pretty bad combination <laughs> to actually be able to bring you any value other than knowing conceptually what it is and reading articles from time to time about it. Uh, I'm about the worst person in the world to talk to you about peer-to-peer lending. So... As with most things that I'm not very good at, I have gone out and found somebody who I think is an expert. And my guest today is a man named Simon Cunningham, and he is the founder of a website called LendingMemo.com. And basically, all Simon does is talk and write about and get it in it he's involved in, and then he just simply talks and writes constantly about peer-to-peer lending. So he's very involved in the industry, but he's coming at it from a layperson. He doesn't work for any of the large lending uh, lending club. Uh, he doesn't work for lending club or Prosper, which are the two big peer-to-peer lending companies that are out there. So we're going to talk that through in today's interview. The beginning of the interview, we talk about lending, peer-to-peer lending as a solution for borrowers to lower the cost of, of money. And then we talk about peer-to-peer lending in the second half for investors uh, about maybe potentially being a decent investment for you. So I hope you'll enjoy this information. And I think Simon did a really great job with uh, bringing it to you in a in a conversational format that's very accessible. So uh, that's today's interview. Thank you so much for listening through these interviews. I know we're kind of off of our normal schedule. I'm working on some big projects this week, and I've got plenty of shows that are just me doing, and I've got a few listener questions, but I, uh, but I don't have the time to be able to prepare for those shows really well. And then if I don't prepare for the show really well, then I wind up with a long rambly show. <laughs> It gets me lots of comments about having a long, rambly podcast. So I've learned not to just sit down and record a show without having a, a tight outline, at least, to keep me on track and on focus. So that's why this week is basically interview week central. So I hope you enjoy that. I may skip a day of playing an interview simply because some of the interviews that I have released this week have been fairly long. Uh, so don't be surprised if I do skip one day and just released four shows this week. But for now, here's the interview with Simon. Enjoy. Simon, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you about the, about peer-to-peer lending. 
And this is a topic that basically what I'd like to do today is almost have an introduction to peer-to-peer lending. I know a little bit about it, just paid a little bit of attention, but I'm not an expert by any means. So I'm going to pick your brains if that's okay and learn as much as I can in today's show. And then we'll just let the audience listen in if that's cool with you. Great. (laughs) What is peer-to-peer lending? So peer-to-peer lending is the, uh, the large-scale lending of money um, online, uh, particularly using um, kind of crowdfunding as a way to disintermediate the banking establishment and allow people to borrow and invest uh, uh, money directly to each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, in a single sentence, that's, that's kind of the definition. You've practiced that once or twice, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of, what's interesting is how, this is just such a massive industry. I mean, uh, uh, Lending Club, it took them five years to issue their first billion dollars in loans, and now they're issuing a uh, billion dollars every three months. So it's this massive uh, growth thing, and um, and so all these people are suddenly interested in it. So yeah, I'm, I'm very well practiced in kind of what is peer-to-peer lending, it's, it's a, and it's a really fun question to answer. So Who is lending and who is borrowing? Is there any, are there any trends to it? Is there, I mean, do we know? Is it everybody, or is it a specific segment of people? Right. Um, it's actually very specific on both sides. Um, now, there's minority groups on both sides, but there's also majority groups. So on the borrower side of things, um, 85% of these people are consolidating credit card debt. So they have, you know, let's say a 20% credit card um, APR, and they are uh, reconsolidating that at a debt um, in a fixed rate uh, amortizing vehicle through a peer-to-peer loan. And what's so great about that? is that most people are saving 5% over the interest rate that they're paying. And so especially if these people are, are uh, having you know, $20,000, $30,000 in credit card debt, just that simple you know, four or five clicks for an internet application can mean like massive savings for those people. So that's, that's probably the main people who are, are uh, 80, 80, 85% of the borrowers are actually debt consolidators. And then this final like, cross-section of 15% are actually a hodgepodge. Most of those people are, are people um, doing... Uh, home improvement. Okay. There's also people who are, you know, taking a, you know, they, they need a sudden $5,000 loan to pay for a, uh, they got, they have to attend a wedding, you know, down in, in, in Mexico and they have to pay for whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of different people, reasons that people are doing this. Uh, um, weddings is a big one. Uh, so, I mean, you can go, there's, there's the list of 10 of them online, and you can kind of look at those. This, the second biggest one is home improvement, um, and it's, there's also ones like student loan debt, starting a small business, um, and uh, kind of the new up-and-coming one is actually medical bills. Um, so the main group, Lending Club, they actually purchased uh, a, a medical um, billing company, and, and so now they're having a larger and larger portion of their borrower side of um, doing that sort of thing. On the investor side of things, that has been a very interesting trend to watch. So when this thing first began, of course, the guinea pigs for this whole investment were actually uh, um, what we call the the hobbyist at-home investor, Mm -hmm. which you're well aware of who those people are. Um, They're not necessarily chasing yield, although they could be. They're more just interested in ways to make money online or ways to invest their money. And so these are generally people later on in their years people who have a little more flexible cash, um, and, and they're, they're willing to try new things. And that's really how peer-to-peer lending got its start. And so at the very beginning, you had uh, just lots of borrowers um, connecting directly to these individuals, so individual to individual peer-to-peer. And that's kind of how peer-to-peer lending's model got straightened out and tested. 
But the companies actually were not profitable at that point. They were still burning through investor cash. They couldn't really hit a profitable model. Um, and so they, need, they just kept scaling to see if that would help. And really, that's what did the trick. So these, both these companies are profitable today. Um, and the reason that they're there is because actually large financial institutions realize the incredible investment that this is. And they jumped in the game. And so now you have banks, hedge funds, money managers, large family offices. And, that, that, uh, and it's kind of arguable about what percentage of the total investment dollars are that, those groups of people. Um, but it's, I would peg it at something like 80%, 90% of the peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending investor cash is coming from large groups like Santander Bank or Union Bank or, you know, whatever. They're, these these giant um, pools of cash are actually funding it because they find this investment so lucrative. Interesting. So credit card departments of some banks and some financial services companies can be some of their more profitable departments. So right. it's certainly understandable why the institutions would get in because if this is a competition with a credit card department and you know they're not allowed I would if I were running a bank I wouldn't let all of my high interest rate paying credit card customers be stolen away by a bunch of individuals I'd make sure that I was involved in <laughs> I was still getting the interest I could even if I had to knock 5 points off of the, their rates I would make sure that I was investing in what they were going to Yep correct um, when give me let's start with a, a time you just started a little bit of the history but give me kind of a rough timeline of the history uh, as far as as far as you know of who led the led the way who were the original companies how long has this been uh, sure. around sure so uh, um, in the UK this was actually the very first the first group who started it was Zopa in the UK in two thousand five. Um, and then the first American company was Prosper in 2006, and then Lending Club followed up in 2007. Um, when Prosper first launched, it launched with a really uh, – it's, this is kind of a difficult way to describe, but it, 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 the model it was using was actually a Dutch auction model. And so they, they had this kind of dream. It's actually a really beautiful dream that instead of pricing or uh, scoring these borrowers – um, on the platform side of things, they would allow institutions to sort of have an eBay model to choose what interest rate they wanted to offer each borrower. And so, you know, basically, Pro we call this Prosper 1.0. Prosper's original model was a very beautiful but ultimately failed attempt to have a purely free market where the investors would choose and the borrowers would choose, and it would be this total, you know, I mean, it, that that's pure disintermediation right there. I mean, right. truly no nothing in the middle mediating these two people mm -hmm. and it ended up that prosper lost the majority of their investors lost money um not all of them but most of them um and and so they they actually had a had some rough waters that they had to kind of relaunch um under a new model and that has worked much better for them um in 2008 i want to say uh the both these companies shut down and had a quiet period and were relaunched um, in 2009. I think Lending Club launched in January of 2009, uh, relaunched with approval of the SEC, and Prosper in July of 2009. And with this relaunch, um, Prosper had this brand new credit model, which was much better. It's the one that, it's similar to the one they're using today. Lending Club is very similar to the one they're using today. And that's the one that's really got them to be successful. Um, and so now you have uh, these, the SEC has classified peer-to-peer -peer loans as securities, and so um, there's lots of regulatory oversight, and as a result, we just had a very stable, very uh, consistent investment going forward. 
Are there any other competitors, you know, in third and fourth place trying to come up and catch up with them? That's that's a really interesting question. I mean, on the one hand, yes, and on the other hand, not at all. So um, it de- it depends on what do you define as a peer-to-peer lender. In my definition, they don't have any competition. Um, but if you would widen the definition of peer-to-peer lending to include any sort of marketplace online lending, which means that you're you're simply connecting the investors the the uh, um, to the borrowers. There's actually like lots and lots of companies out there, like Cabbage, um, uh, Borrowers First. I'm, I'm not going to be able to get all these names. Pave, and you know, there's there's giant uh, um, uh, uh, in the UK. There's there's all sorts of them as well. And these groups are actually only having accredited in, investors because the regulatory legal process to launch a platform where your investors are um, institutional, where they're accredited people who make a large yearly income. Mm-hmm. The legal framework for those things to launch is actually really much more manageable. And so that's what a lot of companies are starting off today with having a more accredited, high dollar, high net worth investor. And they're able to hit profitability with that model. And then they've all told me you know, they have a goal to eventually uh, file an S1 with the SEC and open up their platform for unaccredited regular people like myself mm-hmm. um, and like most, most Americans out there. So in that sense, the word peer-to-peer lending are not even close to the only players in the game. On the other hand, uh, they are the only platforms, the only websites to do online marketplace lending um, in the entire country for average Americans, unaccredited investors, regular people. And in that sense, they are still a peer-to-peer lender, you know, where you have, if you want to, you can be an investor from Arkansas, you got $12,000, you can go on the platform and you can lend uh, money to borrowers who are taking loans out for $12,000, right? So there's still the peer-to-peer aspect of this um, investment is still existing in Lending Club and Prosper. Just other companies haven't been able to uh, hit their level yet. And largely that's I mean, just the regulatory uh, process for allowing unaccredited investors on your platform is incredibly intense. Um, I, I heard the figure was something around $10 million in legal fees. So, Wow. Wow. I wanna, I'm trying to decide whether I should start with the borrowing side or the investing side. Let's start with the borrowing side. Sure. It's simpler. Yeah. And that's also probably – I think this is probably a good opportunity. I've recommended – even though I've <laughs> – I, probably, I don't know if I should have, but I've recommended to people they check out peer-to-peer lending as yeah. a source of credit uh, sure. because I think it can save them from some from some scenarios. But I've never I've never woken up in the morning and decided that I needed to go and borrow from Prosper or Lending Club. Right. And so, you know, for me, if I had credit card debt, I would just surf that debt around, uh, you know, on the zero percent, uh, you know, with zero percent offers or, or low offers or things like that. Yep. So why? Who is the who is the target? Am I the target if I had credit card? Debt, or is it the target with somebody with a lower with a lower uh, score with a more murky payment history? Who is the target? Who is the best fit for this on the borrowing side? Best fit are investors who have a average credit score of seven hundred. Who have so you have to realize all peer to peer loans currently. And when I say peer to peer for the rest of this this talk today, I'm going to particularly focus on Lending Club and Prosper because it's just simpler that way. Sure, fine. Um, and and they are kind of the only peer to peer investors that currently exist. Uh, the average peer-to-peer investor uh, borrower is going to have a credit score of 700. Um, they're uh, going to be prime rated. So currently, Lending Club and Prosper uh, do not allow less than they do not allow subprime borrowers onto their platform. So uh, that's that's 95% true. So there are these kind of few exceptions, but 
Um, so as a result, like the <clears throat> at the beginning, the main people that they were looking for is this giant group of Americans who are trying to consolidate credit card debt. So right. uh, that number has been pegged something around there's eight hundred and I want to say eight hundred and fifty billion dollars in uh, um, unconsolidated credit card debt, something like that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they said that something around $250, $300 million of that meets the credit standards for prime-rated borrowers. So currently, Lending Club has issued something like, I'm going to get this maybe a little wrong, but something around 5 to $6 billion. So you're talking, you know, whatever 5%, 5 divided by 300, that fraction is how large the market is for uh, how, how, that's how many loans have been issued versus how large the rest of the market is. Not much. So it's a, there's a huge as as uh, I've heard Aaron Vermoot put um, great in in at Prosper he's the president of Prosper or CEO of Prosper mm-hmm. uh, Aaron would say something like this is the this is an incredibly large addressable market that we have here and so trying to focus and really drill down into credit card debt consolidation is actually a really great tactic now at the same time you have uh, Prosper like for instance President Ron Suber who has talked about saying. You know, we're not just here to do credit card debt because at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the debt gets consolidated and then you're, you're like, okay, now what do we do? And actually, this is, that's what's so beautiful about peer-to-peer lending from borrower side. It's actually a really wonderful way to get a quick and easy influx of cash, you know. And so when, when I was growing up, you know, and, and um, if you, you just did not have the ability to go, hey, you know what I could really use right now? I need about $5,000 because my friend's getting married. I want to fly him down to Mexico, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? I have the cash flow. I'm a responsible person. I have great credit history. But for this current window of my life, I actually do not have five grand. So is there a place for me to responsibly borrow Mm $5,000? And for the most part, that option didn't even exist in the whole country until just recently with peer-to-peer lending. So what I would, what I would if I could kind of look down the, the, the pipe here, debt consolidation is really how peer-to-peer lending is going to become kind of infamous and kind of big and, and uh, really take a, its main stage in the United States financial scene. But what you might see in the future is somebody who literally just opens up an app on their phone Four clicks later, and a credit uh, analysis later, they have three, four thousand dollars in their bank account because they just need that, and they're able to borrow that responsibly. The debt instrument is actually really good; it's fixed rate, it never changes, no prepayment penalty. Um, it's actually a really great way to borrow money. And I know in the finan- financial kind of world that you and I live in, generally we don't want people to take on debt at all, mm-hmm. but. You know, that's that's a slightly too simple. I would say that I would generally not want anyone to take on debt. But if they need to take on debt, and there are times in all of our lives where that needs to happen, this is actually a really great way to do that. So so you just mentioned a couple of the advantages. Slow down. Let's go through that list again. So sure. benefit, and we can kind of loosely compare it to credit cards and then other forms of borrowing as well. So first benefit is fixed rate. That's yeah. one. Uh, so all of the are all of the loans that are made through peer to peer lending fixed rate basically at least right okay awesome. number two is fast decision uh, did you I've taken that away from what you said is that if I'm a borrower and I need some money and I, I need five grand I can get a decision quickly so unlike maybe needing to pursue a bunch of different places uh, yep. going to the local credit union going to the bank asking for a yeah. personal loan things like that so another advantage would be a fast decision 
Oh, yeah. I sat in my pajamas uh, uh, last November and applied for a Prosper loan, and four days later, it was in my checking account here in Seattle. It was amazing. Okay. <clears throat> what other advantages? Uh, the biggest one is lower interest rates. Okay. That's like That's the king right there. I mean, that's the main reason this whole thing works is it's nice to have, for instance, like I said, no prepayment penalty. Uh, the late fees are very reasonable. They're usually about $15. Um, but really, the main reason people are doing this is the lower interest rate that it costs. So lower interest rate as compared to credit cards. Oh, and it compared to any unsecured loan. I mean, the majority of unsecured personal loans in the United States are issued by banks, which have these giant uh, institutions that they have to pay for. They have vaults. They have cash holding mm -hmm. requirements FDIC insured. So they have all this uh, rigmarole involved in that. But with these online companies, because it's such a simple – I mean, there's, there's, they're literally – Lending Club is a – a headquarters in, in San Francisco and a giant server farm in Nevada. And right. that is all. Right. So that result, they have very little overhead. And so their cost structure. So I did a, I broke down using SEC forms. I broke down the cost structure for Wells Fargo's personal loan program and the cost structure for Lending Club's personal loan program. And the operating expenses is one fifth of, of Wells Fargo. And so as a result, you can actually see that in the interest rates that they offer people. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That is so, that is actually really exciting because I'm any <laughs> any innovation that comes in the banking industry to kind of uh bust the cartel up of the five or biggest banks in this country, I'm I'm in favor of. So this is this is great news to me. Um yeah. but I guess so I guess the, the, do you have any idea of how it would compare to maybe local credit unions? Because I guess that would be what I would. That would if 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 peer to peer, peer excuse me if peer to peer lending didn't exist, I think I would encourage someone look for and establish a relationship with a local credit union. And many of them still will offer small personal loans, things like that. Are you are you aware of the comparison there? I am. So, you know, that's that's a great option. And I'm not one of these people that's just going to say peer to peer always bottom line. Like if you can get a lower interest rate on a credit card or I'm sorry, at a credit union and go for it. That's great because a lot of times because they're going to be they're going to have less of a profit motive, um they're going to have a simpler structure that a lot of times and especially if they can, you know, you've had a relationship with them for a number of years. The lowest interest rate at Lending Club and Prosper is 6.7%. So if you can get a personal loan at your credit union for 5%, go for it. That's great. But my credit union personally only allows loans, for instance, up to $15,000 here mm -hmm. in Seattle. And, uh, and the interest rate that they offered me was actually slightly above that. So even I would argue that even with the lack of a, such a profit incentive at a credit union, they still have to pay for a vault. They still have to pay for lights. They're FDIC insured. And that overhead is going to make them slightly uh, competitive with Lennon Club and Prosper. Plus, it's just a little bit inconvenient because usually you can't do it online. I mean, maybe you can. I've never taken a loan out from a credit union. So this is just me observing industry literature and trying to learn from other people's experiences. But I do have a credit union account at a local credit union here. And I have to go down. I would imagine if I needed a loan from them, I would need to go down in person. And it's kind of the old-fashioned banking process, justify it for some, you know, to some extent and illustrate why I needed it. So it's a little bit less convenient than being able to do it online. Sure. Uh, so number one, fixed rate. Number two, fast decision. Number three, lower interest rates. What other benefits can you think of? I mean, those are the big ones. Okay. Uh, the the <clears throat> let's see the the cost of having late fees, uh, no prepayment penalties. You know, and probably the biggest one that I really encourage people is like, listen, when you get a peer to peer loan, 
and you've got a three-year, 36-month peer-to-peer loan, mm-hmm. you can look down your calendar and you can say, okay, you know, on, what's the date today? October 15th, 2017, I will no longer have debt in my life. Right. And, and uh, that is a pretty great thing to say, whereas with the credit card, you know, it's going to be a revolving line in credit. And if you have, it's, it's just a terrible thing to hold on to long-term debt because you got to create your own pay structure, you got to create your own calendar, and you got to pay it off. It just requires more discipline on behalf of the user. But with a peer-to-peer loan, you know, because it's this fixed rate, um, fixed term kind of thing, you can look down and say, okay, you know, October 15, 2017, I will no longer have the credit card debt from this period of my life, and I'm looking forward to that day. And that right there is the reason that I'm excited about this. I don't really care too much about people funding weddings. I don't really care too much about you know, whatever, uh, uh, somebody who needs 10 grand to do something extraneous. What I'm really interested about is people who are suffering under the oppression of 20% credit card bills, don't know how to get out of it, and all of a sudden they see this thing called peer-to-peer lending. It takes away 5% of whatever they're paying. So let's say they have a 15% credit card rate, and all of a sudden they're paying 10% on a peer-to-peer loan. Like, that's that's a... a 33% reduction in their monthly struggle, right? And that 33% can mean the difference between spiraling further into debt or being able to pay it off. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous breakthrough. This is not just about getting people more cash. It's really about setting people free. But I'm so not – and I love that as well. But I'm not convinced based upon what you said about the 700 credit score that that's actually happening because if somebody has a 700 credit score, right. they're pretty aggressively targeted. It's hard for me to imagine somebody with a 700 credit score paying a 20 percent credit card. And I, I could just be ignorant. I, I don't know a lot of these numbers. And so yeah. the audience can correct me uh, you know, if that's the case. But because of the high credit score and the fact that it has to be prime loans, it's hard for me to believe that that's really what's happening, that People are going from a twenty percent credit card interest rate to an eight percent peer to peer. Is that am I wrong? Uh, in some ways, you're correct. In some ways, you're not. So, okay. like for instance, uh, credit cards do not use the degree of risk based pricing that peer to peer loans do. Okay. So, if you get a Chase Freedom card or whatever, generally uh, everybody with Chase Freedom cards are going to be paying the same rate, right? So, like I have a Chase Freedom card, and I think it's fourteen percent now. Mm-hmm. I never hold debt on that instrument because it's a, who wants to pay 14% on their, you know, going out to eat. So I, I always pay it down every month and just use it for the rewards. But let's say I was holding, and I have, I have my credit score is, I don't know, 770 or something. Mm-hmm. I'm still paying 14%. And, and if some, my credit score dips down, I'm still going to be paying 14% on that thing. And let's say I'm holding $15,000 of debt on my Chase Freedom card. If I would want to reconsolidate it into a peer-to-peer loan, Chances are, well, I already know what my rate is because I took out peer-to-peer loans, but the average person is going to be moving that to a peer-to-peer loan that's at 9%. Right. So, so that, you know, that, that, that right there is a pretty good example that just because you have a good credit score does not mean you have low uh, interest rates on your credit cards. Now, it, you are correct in the sense that those premium, low APR credit cards that are only given to people with excellent credit. Mm-hmm. Those right there aren't available to people with subprime credit scores. Right, of course. Yes. So in that sense, like, is there a huge incentive to reconsolidate a 9% Chase card down to a peer-to-peer loan? I mean, if you're moving from a 9% to a 6.7%, 
I guess, you know, but that's not going to be the, as much of an incentive. So, well, it's right. And you make a good point about the 0% uh, being available only really, I mean, it's really only available to somebody with a prime credit and it's not available when you're in a distressed situation even. So I guess that is true because, and this is where kind of my personal experience blinds me a little bit because usually I've found it generally easy if I needed to take out a 0% credit card with no interest due for 18 months and low fees, you know, on a balance transfer or something, I've always been able to find something like that. But then again, there's only one or two of them offered. You know, I always use these, these sorting programs. I know, um, uh, can't remember something you just search zero percent and a couple of these sites that specialize in it they sort them out and they're really only a couple of cards offered so you, you make a good point i have i have cards that yes that i never i use them for the convenience but i would never carry a balance just because the rate is a high rate if i were if i needed to carry a balance if i were anticipating that i, I needed to finance something and use a credit card to do it then i would go out and i would get a special card just for that purpose uh, but don't have the the foreknowledge to do that. They just say, "Hey, I'm all of a sudden I ran into a medical problem. Let me put this on that Chase Freedom card that I've been putting my bonus points on." Right, and that's one. So you mentioned about medical debt. That kind of scares me a little bit because I would rather, if I were in a, if I have medical debt, I would rather owe the medical provider directly sure. because I think they're probably more likely to work with me if I have a payment problem than right. the card company. So. Yeah. But I also know the medical finance business itself is changing, and a lot of the, the I've heard and read some reports about how that business is changing, and many of the hospitals and doctors are experiencing that. So, I mean, I guess I would probably rather somebody owe their local hospital a debt than than a lending club debt. But I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that based upon your experience? I mean, it's all about the vehicle for me. So, what's the interest that you're paying? What are the payoff terms? You know, how flexible are the uh, the people on the other end of the phone? You know, that's that's the questions that I would ask. Right, right. And I mean, it's a that's a good point. So, if somebody's interested in in pursuing peer to peer lending, as far as for their own, you know, they're, they're they're deep in debt, they're trying to figure out. Because here, here's one of the things that I don't I don't think financial shows and financial people spend enough time talking about. Getting out of debt is it can be a good thing, and is it always a good thing? Well, <laughs> probably. But getting out of consumer debt is probably always going to be a good thing. If you have debt that was for the purchase of of, of things that have you know that that go down in value, that's all that's almost universally problematic, yeah. and and need to get out of that. Ultimately, interest rates are not usually what makes a difference in that situation. Focus and decision and a plan and intensity is what makes a difference. But there's no reason to pay high interest if you can refinance it. So at every step along the way, you should always be looking at the cost of debt and figuring out if you can refinance it at a lower at a lower rate. So right. I think anybody who has debt, you should always be looking for more favorable terms, more favorable uh, more favorable terms, and a lower lower cost to the debt. How, if I'm interested if, in seeing if I can refinance my debt at a lower rate, where do I start? Other, I mean, other than obviously through your affiliate link on your site. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I mean, the, the main thing that I'm, I'm really interested in is, is uh, getting people to, you know, under a lower interest rate with better terms. And so uh, in my book, there just doesn't exist a unsecured uh, a line of credit as great as um, peer-to-peer loans do today. I mean, they're 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 just great. Now, 
On the other hand, for instance, my brother re- just recently redid his kitchen. Mm-hmm. The easiest vehicle for them to put that debt on was their credit cards. So they all of a sudden had, let's say, ten grand on their credit cards. And he says to me, you know, Simon, I'm really interested in getting a peer-to-peer loan. You know, is that a good idea? And I said, yeah, definitely. It sounds like a great idea. It sounds like you should not be carrying this debt on your credit card. Um, and, and home repairs are the largest category in peer-to-peer loans outside of debt consolidation. Right. Um, and then my dad, who just had this, uh, he just said, no, that's not a good idea. Well, it's, it, that's not bad, but a better idea is, you know, you have this great house that you have, like... Uh, uh, um, to have your house have a new what is it called when they do a reanalysis on the worth of your house estimate or whatever mm-hmm. appraisal and appraisal and so he was able to actually move that into a into part of his um, secured uh, debt with his mortgage and the interest rate on that is much much lower right, right so. Right. I was like, yeah, that was so. There you go. That would be a good reason that um, uh, to not take out a peer to peer loan. Like if you have a house that's worth more than its current mortgage, and you can move that debt into now. This is not financial advice. I just want to right. put that caveat out there. Mm-hmm. But but I'm saying that there are better in- instruments out there to carry long term debt than peer to peer loans. But as far as unsecured lines of credit go, it really it's hard to beat peer to peer loans. It well, really is. Maybe you could do. And and the thing is, you could probably tweak them through and combine them in some way. So let's say, for example, somebody's doing some renovations on a house, right. and they're doing that, and and they. And the purists are not going to like this conversation when you get into the purists of debt. But just ignore all that and just just focus on figuring out a way to kind of hack the system. If you let's say you did something like, I don't know, a Lowe's credit card or Home Depot credit card where they give you the discount on the purchase. And so you get, I don't know, let's say they're offering a 10 percent bonus of 10 percent reduction. But where you you get screwed on that is the high finance charges. So maybe they have a high finance charge of 12 percent. Well, you can turn around and you can refinance that over onto a peer to peer loan. And, and yep. you, maybe you can drop it to seven percent. Right. You do your repairs, and then you build the equity in, and then you can go ahead and ref- you can get the house to appraise, and you can refinance the house or sell the house, Beautiful. or if you're doing real estate investment, something like that. So yep. maybe you could use this as a tool, and That's you right. can stack the discounts, get that ten percent Lowe's credit card that gives you the ten percent off, yep. but then refinance it out using this uh, yep. as a simpler way to do it. Yeah, you know, personally, that's just a little bit too much debt ninjutsu that I'm comfortable with, but I can understand, like, that sounds like a great thing. I've never, you know, for instance, I've never built a $20,000 house renovation that would increase the value to the degree that I can increase my mortgage and push that debt into a low 2%, you know, whatever, uh, a fixed term mortgage rate. But I think that's, I think that sounds brilliant, in my opinion. So I wouldn't, yeah. Are there any fees for taking out a peer to peer loan? There's a fee, it's called the origination fee, okay. and it's baked into the APR. So, for instance, uh, the actual interest rate on for excellent credit at Lending Club is 6%, 6.03 or something. Okay. And then with that origination fee um, put in, it's, it's around a 6.7%. So there is an origination fee, and the way that that's charged is when you get the loan, let's, like, let's say I take out a loan for you know, $10,000 and the lump sum that would be put into my, uh, checking account, a uh, number of days later would be minus that fee. So I would get, let's say $9,600 or $9,500 in my checking account. Um, so that the fee is that they simply reduce the loan by a certain percentage and then you pay off the full amount. Okay. So you would have to actually calculate it, but what it, 
do you think what I what I was going to compare it to is in the scenario that I just made up. Take right. out a Lowe's credit card, ten percent, put thirty grand on that. Right. The problem with switching that over to a credit card is unless you could, a lot of times, a balance transfer in the credit card world will come with a you know a three percent a three percent of the balance fee up front. Sure. Even though it's zero percent interest, it's three percent of the balance fee, of uh, uh, balance transfer fee. It's un there. There are sometimes available, but it's unusual to be able to get a zero percent balance transfer fee. Right. So maybe flipping it over to flipping it over to a peer-to-peer loan, if right. the origination fee is lower, let's say you had thirty thousand dollars on the Lowe's credit card. Yep. Well, if even at a you know if even at a six percent interest rate, so that would be eighteen hundred bucks a year. Divide that by twelve. That's one hundred and fifty bucks a month. So right. let's just say you flip it over onto that, and you have and you carry the debt for six months. Right. Uh, that would probably, and then you're transferring it to another another debt instrument of some kind. Then right. it would be cheaper to do it with because of the no prepayment penalties and because of the low origination fee. Maybe it would be cheaper to do it with peer to peer than with the credit card system. Yeah, I mean, it, of course, you'd have to run the numbers for your particular situation. Right. But I think what you said sounded really creative, and and it, it sounded like it would work to me. So, All right, then you can maybe hack it with gift cards and get another ten percent off <laughs> if you can find them. <laughs> right. them. There's some there's some fun things that you can do. The problem, I mean, the. What what's so challenging, and I constantly feel bad about this, and we're going to move off of the borrowing side and move on to the the investing side. But what's so challenging is that it's so cheap in in, in the U.S. American context. It, relatively speaking, our financial system really does work pretty well for the majority right. of people. You you travel abroad, and it's just astounding how you know. I have a big interest in micro lending. And right. throughout the microfinance and the the major gains in, that have been made in that over the last ten years, and it is stunning when you start to talk to people about how the credit system in the rest of the world works. I mean, it, it is it's it's usurious and it's criminal as far as just how it works. Yep. But in the U.S., it really it really works pretty well. But it really only works pretty well for people who are able to plan ahead. And right. That's the problem is that we're, mo- most most of us don't really plan ahead, so we're always at the mercy of whatever is going on, and we're always – you know we pay for the convenience. Yep. Yeah. Okay. On the investing side, and uh, if somebody is interested in well, – let's, let's phrase the question like this. I've never invested in peer-to-peer loans. Sure. Sell me on why I should consider it. Again, it's all about the uh, the interest rate. So that's that's because uh, you know the average um, company. Both of these companies have such a thin profile. They have such low um, operating expenses. They're able to push. You know, the average rate at a credit card at Le- or the average rate of a loan at Lending Club and Prosper is something like ten percent. So that means they're able to push that interest rate for the most part onto the investor. And I mean, you or I are. Would love to earn something like, you know, seven uh, percent on our investment. I mean, that that'd just be amazing. So that's that's what I do. I've been earning. Now I I earn I lend to the riskier segments of prime rated borrowers. So uh, my average credit score is going to be something like six eighty, mm-hmm. but um, six seventy. But I, so I'm earning something like ten percent a year on these on these things. But the average person is earning between five and ten percent, and that's just. And it's incredibly consistent. So in 2008, the S&P 500 lost a third of its value, mm-hmm. and peer-to-peer loans still managed to give investors a positive return. Um, and that is because prime-rated borrowers are just an incredible investment who are less 
correlated with the ups and downs of the stock market. So it's it's just a it's a wonderful investment. That's the main reason to do it. Well, basically, what you're doing is you're investing in one specific business for which business and you're taking the place of the bank instead of dealing with a larger market where that's subject to many external influences. Right. Um, so I guess where I. I would have to figure out as far as how to account for risks. So I guess the primary risks at this point is right. primarily default risk. Are they still doing the thing where you choose the loans and you go through and like you, you choose that somehow? Sure. Let me give you – so here's the official list of risks within this thing, okay? The main thing is exactly what you just talked about, and that is the, the, an excess rate of defaulting borrowers. So the majority of people who become investors in peer-to-peer lending and then go on to have a negative or poor experience are really people who are not diversifying across enough prime-rated borrowers. So if you can, for instance, diversify across 200 prime-rated borrowers or more, like 99.9% of those investors have had positive returns. And 99% of them are having returns between 5 and 10%. So the main way to kind of not be at risk for borrower defaults is by diversifying your account across enough people. And all of a sudden you start to mirror the asset class as a whole rather than trying to beat the market. You know, it's really important to try to diversify. And we really hammer that over at Lending Memo um, and throughout the peer-to-peer lending, peer-to-peer investing community at large. The main word said over and over and over is diversify, diversify, because that's the main source of headaches for people who have a negative experience. Um, now, that said, there's actually a couple scenarios where the market itself could experience just on an aggregate level a large number of defaults and investors on an aggregate level could could start to lose money, similar to what Prosper did when they first came out. And that's if there's a, 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 and there's a couple different things that could happen. Probably the, the, the one that most people are kind of leery of is the credit models of these companies. So if they're saying that they're issuing to, to prime-rated borrowers, but actually, you know, they're issuing because they're under pressure to uh, give loans to more and more borrowers and to grow the bottom line of their company. Right. Like they could start issuing to people who aren't necessarily as prime rated as the as their they could lower their credit standards. Right. And so us as investors, we would just blindly hand our cash over. And all of a sudden we have all these defaults happening. And it's because the companies without our knowledge were lowering the credit standards that people were lending to. Now, thankfully, all the open, all the data for these companies, all their historical loans, all the loans that they are issuing, all that data is completely open for public scrutiny. So there's lots and lots of people who are on a very uh, statistically proficient people running their own credit models, scoring the loans that Prosper and Lending Club are issuing month by month, and keeping an eye on the credit quality of these companies. And so, as a result, if there was ever a beginning of lowering of credit standards. Uh, everybody would know about it pretty quickly and could start to draw down their investment. But the, both of these companies are really committed to a prime-rated approach to the to issuing this debt. So as a result, it's really uh, uh, unlikely that they would start to lower standards. I just don't see that happening. Is there more but, investor money coming in than desire for loans, or is there more of a desire for loans than money can be found right now? There's There's so much investor cash from institutions, from major banks, and they are struggling to find borrowers. So it's, I mean, hey, when I say struggling to find borrowers, they're still issuing a billion dollars every quarter. So it's not, you know, but that's, that's kind of where the, thresh, the, the pressure is felt is, is uh, 
Yeah, and for, so, for instance, Lenin Club purchased Springleaf, this this uh, uh, medical uh, billing medical ins- uh, uh, loan um, company. They largely it looks like they purchased them because this is another source for them to be able to find additional people to lend to. Because the there's just so much investor demand and uh, there's there's less borrow demand, which is interesting because that is actually opposite from how this thing began. Back in the day, they had all these people who needed loans. You know, they're just typing the word loans into Google, and boom, you know, Lending Club has the very top result for that, and uh, um, and they they couldn't get borrowers to fund it because they were pretty unproven as a company back then. But now they're proven. Everyone's jumped in the game and they can't find enough borrowers, so it's kind of interesting. But. So, do both of these companies on the investor side? Do you still go through? And I've seen screenshots. I've never, I've never had an account with either of them, but yeah. I've seen people screenshots on articles where you kind of go through and read this borrower story and read that borrower story. Story. Do they still do that uh, as far as go through and look at individual borrowers? That's a really great question. So back in the day, that was the big. That was kind of the romantic selling point of peer-to-peer lending is you could go in and you could quote unquote you know get to know the people you're lending money to right but we actually found out that that was again you know you have to realize peer-to-peer lending has really romantic beginnings and is actually in a much more mature and realistic place today so what we thought that would do is connect people to people and kind of create this organic connection and allow you know, oh, I don't want to default on my payments because this guy that I know lent me this money over the internet and I really like him or something like that. Now what you have is if you want to see the the uh, non-personal information of your borrowers, so if I want to go into Lending Club right now, I can open up my investment and I can look at each individual loan that I've issued and I can look at the people and look at the the credit attributes of them. I can look at how their credit scores change. I can look at what city they're from. I mean, pretty everything that's not personally identifiable information is all laid bare for me to look at. But the fact of the matter is, I don't even look at that stuff anymore. Because back in the day, um, the credit models weren't as tight as they are today. So you could kind of game the system by filtering these giant pools of loans and loan, lending to particular people here or there. But by now, the credit models are so tight and uh, uh, in fact, what they've got people have gotten in trouble with is they go, oh, you know what? I don't usually lend to people who are having an F graded or a G graded loan at Lending Club, which is on the riskier side. But you know what? I'm reading this Bauer description, and he really seems like a quote unquote nice guy. Let me invest in this money, and then surprise, surprise, the guy got you know he he defaults three or four months later. And Lending Club is sitting here going, we rated this G. Like, you should know that this has a very high chance of defaulting. And the guy who's reading the story is going, yeah, but I really liked what he wrote in his description. Right? So back in the day, we really started, we really wanted to read these descriptions because it gave us kind of a personal feel to who we were investing to. But now we've really realized that trusting these credit models, trusting the statistical analyses of these people's credit worthiness is actually the very best way to have a good investment. So well, for I mean, whatever it's worth. All it sounds like to me as a layperson is just simply the development of a, of a more efficient market. And right. this is what people who talk about efficient markets don't recognize, that markets are usually inefficient. And then they become efficient over time, and then once they become efficient, then people go to other markets and look for other inefficient markets where they can make more money. Sure. And then 
so I mean that's just what it sounds like to me. So I mean if you say diversification, it's surprising to me. Do, do the companies offer just where you can say I want a diversified set of loans of you know four hundred loans and with my twenty thousand bucks or whatever, where you can just click it and buy a package of it without going through individual screens? And that's the main thing they want people to do. Right, right. So back in the day, it was all about kind of the quote-unquote get to know your borrowers. And now if you go to Lending Club and Prosper, they don't really care about that as much. What they want you to do is pick up, amass a large number of loans. Um, and so, for instance, Lending Club right now, they have a they have two different kind of main investing um, areas. One is just dump a large amount of money into a diversified portfolio of loans and on the other hand is this automated investing tool, which you set up the grade, that, that's the risk that you are choosing. So the mm-hmm. grades go from A to G, A are the safest, at very small default rates of you know, 1% or less. And then G-graded loans have a default rate even of something like 13%, right? So there are these, you can choose your risk there, but you simply choose your risk and hit a big blue button, and you don't even have to log in. You just passively earn between 5 and 10%. It's amazing. So I've been passively earning 10% on my uh, IRA for the last you know, two years or more, and, and uh, it's a phenomenal investment. And I wish more people would be involved in it. So, Well, the problem is there's more people get involved in it. That's going to drive down the yields on the loans. So you can't, yeah. expect, you can't, you can't expect to make the same amount going forward uh, sure. as you have historically because the, the, cause the the, the returns that you get, the way I view it, and feel free to disagree. I'm, right. uh, uh, I don't mind it a bit. Um, but historically, when you take when you t- when you make an investment, you are going to price your investment uh, 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 as a bank in a situation right. where you're not make. What what analogy to use? When you make an investment in something, you are going to price your investment based upon the risk that you're taking with your money. So if I'm going to lend you money and you're going to start, you know, the example I used to use with uh, with uh, uh, clients was if I'm going to lend you money and you're a risky borrower, I'm going to charge you a higher rate of interest because the problem is, is that if you borrow the money and walk away, I'll, I, I'll lose my money. But if you're yep. an established borrower, then I have yep. a better chance of, of knowing your character. Yep. But as more money comes in and more money flows to that, so Lending Club and Prosper and peer-to-peer lending, you know, if it's, if it's this new since 2000 sure. and about five, this is a very short history. Yep. And now as the institutional money just flows in, now yep. there's more money than loans. And because there's more money than loans, that's going to drive down the, the returns. Absolutely. So that's yes and no. So there's there's two things going on here, um, and this is what I'll say next is probably more my opinion uh, because some of this is speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that they have kept investor yields as high as they have is to make sure make sure that they have a consistent investor base upon which they can build borrowers. Right. So what you've had is you have all this investor demand, and you think naturally, if this was a pure marketplace, they would simply low interest rate, lower interest rates from 6.7 to, let's say, 5%, right? And they would get even more prime-rated borrowers than they ever have. Right. But, and so that would be an, efficient, an efficiency that's probably coming in the future, I would say. Now, that said, they still are, they need to maintain a consistent flow of investor capital. Uh, they need investor money to be flowing into these platforms. And the best way to do that is to keep uh, uh, returns or to keep this, um, these interest rates consistent. And so as a result, uh, what you have is you have all this growth month over month. You know, like again, I don't know if 
people realize what that means where Lending Club is issuing, you know, a billion dollars in loans maybe every two or three months now, which is an amazing amount of money. That is happening even with a slightly inefficient pricing model for their investors, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, they, they do have an incentive to lower interest rates and get more borrowers at some point, but they have such growth, such phenomenal growth, and uh, that they don't have a huge incentive to do that right now. Now, at some point, I personally believe that this market is going to level out. They're going to uh, uh, have a much more consistent, maybe more normalized baseline of debt consolidators that are happening instead of this crazy wild growth that they have today. And when that happens, a very mature thing for the market to do is readjust and allow interest rates for borrowers, for investors to go down from the 5 to 10% that they have today. That said, let me just emphasize, let's say they go down to 4 and 9 or 3 and 7 Earning a, a, a 5 6% interest rate consistently year by year is still a great investment. A great investment. There's uh, incredibly low volatility. There's decent liquidity. I mean, it, it's just a great way to invest. And, it, and um, you know, the uncertainty of investing in the tumultuous stock market compared to the consistency of prime-rated Americans, consumers, is just night and day in my opinion. So I... I Yes, today I'm earning 10%, but I would still, if I, if I earned 5 10 to 6% on this investment, I still would do it. It's a great way to put your money to work. Right. It'll be interesting to watch as the market develops, and sure. because to me that's the big takeaway. Uh, if I were going to get involved in investing in, in these types of scenarios, I would just be watching it very carefully and just paying a lot of attention to it as the market develops, um, sure. because it's such a such a young market. I mean, there are many things that there are many things that could happen. There, there's That's right. Yeah, and if, if I could just interrupt you, I the just to finish off. You know, earlier we were talking about what are the risks involved in this thing, and so I would just want to make sure that people know that uh, there is a, there's these access defaults that could happen. So, like, if you're not diversified. If uh, um, if the credit standards of these companies would would die or would be degraded, there's also the the case of national unemployment or some sort of macroeconomic factor. So let's say the national unemployment rate balloons up to twenty twenty five percent. You know, prime rate of borrowers are going to be struggling to pay off these loans, right? So the default rates could go up in that end of things. And investors do need to be aware of the fact that it's possible these companies, Lending Club and Prosper, could go bankrupt. And if they go bankrupt, they have all these backup servicers that would still allow the money to flow from these issued loans back to their investors. But there's just no uh, uh, precedence for that happening. So in a worst case scenario, you could have you know somebody you could have them trying to settle their debts, and they decide to you know take a whole bunch of of investor uh, uh, these these loans and use it to settle debt with their creditors. Now, Prosper actually has set up a bankruptcy remote vehicle that, in the case of a bankruptcy, that portion of their company that holds the loans would actually separate off from the rest of their company and make that debt harder to uh, to use. But you know, so understanding that these companies could go bankrupt and that could be a um, a, a scenario that could inv- uh, impact the investor experience. That's another risk that investors need to be aware of. So, and also, I personally would be very uncomfortable, although. On a macro scale, we we compare we we sh- we do we can we do and we should compare all of our investment opportunities one with another. But I don't know what asset class 
peer to peer lending would fall into, what it would be most right. akin to. Uh, sure. In fact, before I make my point, as far as now that the institutions are coming in and the analysts and, and whatnot, do you see any consensus coming in as far as how on the institutional side the portfolio managers are trying to classify this type of investment? I do. So I was just at the uh, this big securitization conference down in Miami last month, and then again the, at the American Banker conference had a had a peer to peer lending conference um, uh, two weeks ago. I want to say in New York, and they they have the exact same conversation that's going on: is do we classify this as a fixed income investment or as an alternative investment? And it, it the uh, as you maybe are well aware, uh, big huge hedge funds the portion of their dollars that go towards fixed income versus alternatives is night and day, right? And alternatives are usually a very small slice of where they put their cash to work. But actually, peer-to-peer lending is a fixed income investment, right? It's, it, you have a very consistent, uh, um, the money that's coming in doesn't change, you know, it's fixed, right? So it's, a, it's actually classified as fixed income. But, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, it, it doesn't have the liquidity of, of a traditional fixed income. So this has been a struggle for most of them to go, okay, what do we do here? And uh, uh, the, the general conclusion is it's just its own category. It's not an alternative because it doesn't have the incredible yields that a lot of these alternatives have, but it's not necessarily fixed income because it doesn't have the same liquidity. So what bucket do we put in this? And so what we see people doing is we see people uh, uh, um, going, oh, well, let's invest in a portfolio of peer-to-peer loans, like let's say a big hedge fund in New York. They'll say, let's invest you know, a couple million dollars in a peer-to-peer loan portfolio, and they'll put it in a, in a bucket, but that percentage will be taken out of their fixed income bucket. Mm-hmm. So th- what they'll do is they won't put it in the fixed bi- income bucket, but they, actually the percentage of their fixed income will be lowered by whatever their investment in peer-to-peer is. So it's just a really interesting thing. There isn't necessarily a good category for what this is right now. Right. It's interesting. Because, and I don't have, in today's conversation, I don't have a long, you know, prepared list of thoughts and, and sure. uh, uh, specific, uh, you know, thoughts about this. So I'm kind of doing this on the fly. But right. the interesting thing about it, an investment manager, a portfolio manager is always looking for a non-correlating investment. And right. so the, the holy grail is if you can have inve- each investment class has its own risks. And uh, those risks are unique to, to that investment class. And the idea is you don't mind if different investment uh, classes go up and down at different points of time. Everything goes up and down. But it right. would be nice if you could predict what goes up when something else goes down, and then you can hedge your portfolio or you can try to move among those. The yep. problem, I think, with peer-to-peer and why I, I cringe a little bit, uh, not that it's necessarily wrong, but I get a little uncomfortable when you compare it to uh, equities, to the stock market, is that the risk uh, the risk scenario is very different and that it sounds just on a gut level that the risks of peer-to-peer lending is much more akin to fixed income investments. And the three things that I can think of is, number one, the big glaring risk is you have a prepayment risk. And so the biggest risk that you face, although we have default risk, which which we we've covered already, and that's kind of the third thing on my little 
three-part part tree, tree here, but one of the biggest risks that you face is prepayment risk. And to illustrate this, I would, I would talk about it uh, with the example of mortgage companies. So when sure. you, as a borrower, have a mortgage, then generally with mortgages, most mortgages nowadays have no prepayment penalty. Right. So at any point in time, you can turn around and you can pay your mortgage off. And yep. this is what countless people do, is that as rates decrease, they refinance their mortgage and they yep. move that debt to, to another place. Well, that's a real problem for mortgage investors because when the loan when the their loan is is paid now they've got this cash and they have to figure out where to invest it but now they have to reinvest it at lower rates and this is a reinvestment risk and this actually in my limited understanding definitely influenced to some of the uh, developments over the last couple of decades with some of the derivative instruments, the mortgage-backed securities and some of the derivative instruments to help some of the institutions to be able to better deal with this prepayment risk. But this is a problem with uh, a peer-to-peer loan from what you've described to me is that if I've invested in peer-to-peer loans at 7% and interest rates decrease to 4, well, then then my whole portfolio is going to be paid off, you know, know, not not the whole portfolio because individual borrowers are going to maybe somebody shot their credit and they can't they can't fix anything but sure. i have the risk of those loans being paid paid down so that's a big risk that most people are un i would say not accustomed to thinking about in an investment portfolio the second aspect to it which makes it unique is that you know what your maximum yield is if you make a if you make a an investment at a 7% interest rate, you make a loan at a 7% interest rate, the most you're ever going to get from that is 7%. That's right. But it could be zero. And so this is very different than than a stock investment where you're not – you're not generally limited to a certain upside. And although your downside is certainly zero, you're not limited to a certain upside. So you're capped out at whatever you are, but the, but in case of default, the risk could be zero. So the only, so the maximum, as far as your risk scenario, if you've made loans at 7%, you shouldn't be planning on a seven, you know, on anything higher. It's only going to be lower as you get other scenarios involved. So it's kind of a different, I think it's a different animal than most people are accustomed to because most people are not accustomed to investing directly in individual bonds. And sure. so it's probably a new investing environment. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. Well, I just, so those, those are great points. And, and I would never, you know, I'm not one of these people that, that, you know, believes uh, uh, peer-to-peer lending is some sort of holy grail that doesn't have, you know, its, its own problems or issues. Um, I will say that uh, on an aggregate level, these things have been accounted for, and they have been we've been watching them, and it's not been a a, a huge adjustment. So, for instance, uh, let's say like um, uh, you know borrowers prepaying their their loans off. I do lose I, like I have I've I've loaned to thousands of borrowers. Oh, I've loaned to a thousand borrowers now. Uh, I currently right now over a thousand active borrowers who I've lent money to and they all the time pay off their loans early and I earn a lower return when they do that right because um, the first month of their investment is, is a giant grace period so I don't even earn uh, I don't get any money uh, interest uh, during that first 30 days and a lot of them pay it off very early and I basically have money tied up for 30 days and I don't earn any interest on it so and then when it gets paid back it doesn't it you know there's no penalty or anything like that that I'm earning on that prepayment 
So yeah, there you know borrower prepayment is it does affect the account negatively. It does account uh, affect the returns negatively, but on an aggregate level, it's it's really it's not a big deal. Like I, I uh, uh, majority ninety nine percent of investors who are diversified continue to earn really great returns, and this is with defaults. This is with uh, um, uh, prepaying borrowers who are who are you know dumping the loan earlier than we would wish. And that's totally okay. You know, I, I feel really comfortable about that. Um, uh, what was the the second thing that you mentioned here? Real about- quick, I'll, the second thing I mentioned was the maximum ups, upside is set. But 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 right. be careful though in, in what you're saying. And I don't disagree with you. I mean that that is your experience, and you're right. making money off of this, and I haven't. But notice also the economic environment that we've been in as sure. this growth has happened. So we're in a time of of what most people would say is artificially low rates. And right. rates really haven't adjusted. That's very different than if we were coming, you know, let's say that fast forward, um, I don't know, five, ten years, and sure. we're in a situation where, uh, you know, we're in a situation where inflation is trucking away at maybe 5% or 8% yep. or 4% or 6% instead of 1%. And yep. you're in a situation also where the average interest rate is much higher. And so now people are going in and they're lending at 14% rates on their lending club, feeling good about that. But then the Fed pushes rates down, rates drop across the board, everybody sure. refinances, well, now your, inv- your investment portfolio changes. So part of that, the non-prepayment, might be the fact that your experience over the last four or five years has been in a very low interest rate environment. Yeah, I, I think that's possible. Um, but I will say that like, you know, this, the, there's a lot of people who have looked at the numbers for how would peer-to-peer lending adjust if we're in, in, not anymore in this low you know, interest rate environment that we're in today. And uh, it still looks to me that like like this is a great investment, even in that uh, uh, higher scenario. Like, let's say the interest rates of your bank account would you know jump up. What are they at now? Like point two five or something like that, right? Right, right. Um, if they would go about up to, nothing, point nothing, as I say. <laughs> right, nothing, point nothing, right. Uh, I, I, I bet Peter Barron's actually of, of the company, I want to say rate setter, he, he calls these zombie bank accounts because they actually earn less than inflation. So they, right. Anyway, uh, clever. So, uh, but like, let's say, you know, the interest rates would, um, would jump up to 5%. Like, I'm not going to be as interested in earning a 5% return in my peer-to-peer lending portfolio when I could earn 5% risk-free in an FDIC savings account. Right. But... On the other side of things, you know, uh, earning a a, uh, uh, a return of, of nine or ten percent, like I am today, is still a great option. And uh, yeah, like you do have the uh, um, there there are investments that return better than that at different times. But uh, um, what you do have is is a um, uh, what was I saying? Um, in, again, in a down economic, in an economic downturn, like the stock market uh, dumping really far as it does, you see something like peer-to-peer loans being much more resilient. And so I, I, I personally, earning a 9%, 10% return in a vehicle or in an, in an investment that has such uh, resilience in, uh, in an economic downturn feels to me like a no-brainer. And so what, what, it's interesting when you talk to the, the management of this company – they talk about how peer-to-peer lending is, is a good investment today with the market booming, but when it's a really good investment is when the market tanks. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you get all these people who jump over to peer-to-peer loans going, boy, you know, why have I been putting my money in these giant aggregate uh, corporate in- index funds 
when I could be putting my money in, in a, um, an aggregate of individual responsible borrowers there who are much more steady in these times. So I don't know. We'll see. Right. I mean, this is, this is, I, I would never say like, you know, you're insane not to do this or whatever. I, but I just think this is a solid investment. And I think that in the years to come, it'll prove itself trustworthy. Right. And I think that you will, uh, I mean, my bet just based upon what you've, what we've talked about today is a, you are being compensated for the risk that you as an early adopter, relatively early adopter, at least, I don't know how far back your history goes, but you're being compensated for your, risk for taking sure. taking a bet taking a gamble on yep. on the initial market and that's how it should be and yep. then number 2 is that probably things will shake out over time and if the technology continues what'll happen is that the market itself the lending market will have to adjust and yep. when the credit card cuz so I ran the numbers and if you said that uh lending club issued 5 billion dollars and you said 850 billion dollars is the market's the market pool that at least some of the companies think that their target market is that's just under a 6% of the market so right. relatively speaking i think that's enough to make people pay attention but relatively speaking it's still not a big player but you know, yep. fast forward, you know, a couple of years maybe, and if it's twenty five percent of the market, it'll oh, yeah. be it'll be awesome to see how everything shakes out. And I think and and I think consumers will win. So it's a it's an it's a it's a really exciting uh, development as far as uh, additional comp- competition in the market. Yeah, you. I think you had some comments on my other two points, two and three of maximum upside is set, but the but the maximum downside is zero. I mean, you, you could the the downside could be zero. Did you want to make any more comments on that before I ask you my final two questions? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, let me just say this, that, that a, a prime rated A grade peer to peer loan, yes, it does have a maximum, you know, it, let's say it's 6.7% that you're uh, issuing to borrowers and 1% of that goes in fees to the platform. So that means on a maximum level, you're going to earn 5.7%. And then there's going to be a small rate of default. So that's saying, you know, the very, very maximum you would earn on an A graded loan is going to be something like four and a half, five percent um uh so yes that it's it, there is a cap to that that you you know don't have in something like a an investment in the stock market but in my opinion uh, uh considering uh most people who are investing in the stock market aren't looking for more more than a you know i don't know what you are but a, like a 5 to 10% return that feels like what most people are looking for anyways in a normal investment right well if that's what they're looking for anyways why why try to shoot the moon Right. Most of the time when we do that, we actually get in trouble. So when when the average peer to peer lender who's diversified is earning five to 10 percent in an investment that is so resilient in an economic downturn, it just feels to me like that interest rate cap feels like a very tolerable reality. It feels fine to me. So. Right. Right. Well, it'll be fun to see how it develops. Yeah. I want to ask you two questions. And the. are you familiar with the concept of I don't and I don't actually know what to call them. I wanted to do a show on it, but the only one I know of is the Haitian word. But I know that the Span- some Spanish people have, and some other ethnicities, some of the uh, Asian ethnicities have a similar scheme. Are you familiar with um, the idea of 
some of these like ethnic um, savings groups. So I know in the Haitians, I think they call it a soul, uh, where basically every month uh, e- each family, you know, let's say you have ten families comes together, and yeah. every month each family contributes a hundred dollars, and then each month one person in the group of 10 families gets the thousand dollars and so that they can take it and deploy it and then it goes around and around and around are you familiar with that concept no i haven't heard of that but i i mean i have so i lived in africa for three years and i really? i really came to just appreciate the indigenous approaches that they had to uh i mean nobody had taught them how to do some of these things and they had incredible ways to save cash and to um you know so i i have a lot of respect for a lot of these different approaches for people it's a, yeah, it's a pretty cool. Uh, it's a pretty cool model when you actually. I didn't understand it at first. I had a Haitian client, and they yeah. told me I'm putting. I think it was like nine hundred dollars a month or a thousand dollars a month into this plan, and yeah. I said like, "What is it? How does it work?" And they explained it to me. And I think the the Creole word for it is is soul, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I know others have had it, but yeah, that it basically works like that, so that people who are not able to go and borrow money from a bank necessarily still are able to get the influx of lo- a large amount of cash. So right. you're, you, the idea is that having $100 a month when you're, when you're pretty strapped, it's tough to accumulate enough cash to go out and make some of the big purchases that can make a difference. But right. by contributing it each month, somebody gets the $1,000, then they can go ahead and make their bigger purchase. And okay. so what I'm hoping is that maybe some of these kinds of – that that concept, I was thinking maybe some of these uh, lending club type of things can help take that to a... um, Frankly, I'm not sure my point with it, but I was thinking add more technology to what some of the ethnic groups, savings groups actually do themselves, maybe add some technology to help it out a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, what we're having is, I mean, again, I I just want to say Lending Club and Prosper are the only peer-to-peer lenders that exist today. And I know I have, if there's any marketplace lender management who are hearing me say that, they're going to be upset at me or whatever. But on a, you know, on an, on an average American to average American investor borrower relationship, they're the only ones who exist today, and they don't necessarily have something creative like that. But what you have is you have lots and lots of companies, dozens of companies who are in the work uh, to, to launch and become national staples, and they're trying all sorts of models of borrowing and lending in different terms and different debt instruments. You know, uh, so it, it, they're all they're they're trying so many different things, and so that's what's so beautiful about innovation and technology. Is I wouldn't be surprised if you know this particular model of lending club and prosper works really well, but you know what? Give it twenty years, and you're going to have some really interesting different ways to invest and borrow money over the internet, um, which are going to take advantage of all sorts of different creative models. So I'm I'm really interested to see what happens and what changes in the coming years. It's right. really exciting. And I'm interested in hoping that maybe some of this can also go international because oh, yeah. there are places in the world where lending – I mean to borrow money, you're paying 50 percent interest. And that's right. not in any way an exaggeration. Nope. So hopefully with, some, with the internet, perhaps some of the companies can figure out and can pioneer a way to price the risk appropriately and figure out how to – how to work in some of the new markets and maybe that'll open up new markets where money can flow into places that traditionally uh have to deal with usurious money and you know interest rates and that's what i hope one of the one of the market changes i hope comes out of this beautiful i'm going to put you on the spot with a question because i actually have a concern about this from as far as with those of us who are in the uh in uh in the uh 
the finance talking to people to, uh, in the public about finance and financial blogging and financial yeah. things like that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question because I want to raise it, but hear me out as far so so I can give a few details to make it fair. You have you write an excellent site called LendingMemo.com, and you have all you talk about is peer to peer lending, and it looks like you have some uh, you have some good articles, you have some video courses, you have some uh, some a book. Um, so that's really really awesome. Um, one of the concerns I have is that in the financial kind of online financial media space, we have actually gone toward the affiliate commission model as sure. this most straightforward way of making money online talking about money. So I feel when I wander around the online space, I feel like the standard thing to do is to write some blog articles about uh, investments uh, to write some blog articles about financial topics, and right. then you need to do a review of uh, you know personal capital, and then you need to do a review of uh, betterment, and then you need to do a review of uh, mint, and then you need to do a review of lending club and talk about your new lending club investment, sure. and you know, and then you need to do a Bluehost review of how to launch a blog, and you need to put your eight affiliate links so that you can so everyone can go and get rich doing what you're doing. And sure. I have no problem with affiliate links. I love affiliate links. And I actually, when people give valuable information, um, right. then I go and I actually look for their affiliate link and try to buy stuff through them so that they can get compensated and they can get value for the work they've done. But right. I feel like in a sense that it's almost gotten, especially in this peer-to-peer -peer world, it's gotten a little bit out of hand. It's like every financial blog is talking about, hey, here's my lending club experiment. Who can make more money with lending club? Sure. Explain how the affiliate programs work for lending club and Prosper and just let people know so that they can be aware of that uh, of how the programs work for the people who are have set themselves up with affiliate relationships like like you have, and then, again, I'm not I'm not mad about doing. It. I think it's a great thing, but I just want you to explain how they work for people. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, affiliate relationships with on on any sort of level are it's kind of like the new way to uh, uh, create um, to to drive people to uh, find out what they need. So, for instance, you know, it, uh, if you are looking for a credit card, right? Like credit.com. Credit.com is a great example. They have a mm -hmm. uh, lot. They have Hillary Clinton has written for credit.com. Um, I forget the Republican Senator from, uh, I forget ex the, the, the house guy. He, he's written for credit.com. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, they have all these authoritative people who write for the site. And then, uh, uh at the same time, they, if you need a zero balance transfer or something like that, they have links there that, that, uh, and they earn revenue off those links. Right. So, so uh, these just getting it, uh, uh, having to be able to create um, uh, people to bring people to these products uh, through your website is just a, a really great way to um, to to say, listen, like I am Credit.com. I have an authority on the topic of credit cards. We write about money. And so if you're going to sign up for this, this right here is a good product for you. And, and uh, this is one of the way that we pay our bottom line or pay mm -hmm. our whatever. With peer-to-peer -peer lending, it's, it's, it's exactly the same way with, with uh, lending memos. The reason that we're a successful website um, is not for because we simply churn out you know, 10 ways to cut your, your bills or something like that and some sort of thin content. Like this is... Uh, um, we, we strive to produce high quality, authoritative content, mm -hmm. uh, on this topic. And as a result of that, um, when people say, Hey, you know, we really want to look up a review of lending club and see how this investor experience goes. Uh, somebody like Google says, well, you know what? Um, 
uh, Lending Memo has actually been an authority on all sorts of lending club topics, and they're probably going to be an authority on this topic as well. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, so uh, at the same time, if you go to our site and you look at a, at an article like you know uh, Lending Club versus Prosper, um, we see you'll see that 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 here I compare these platforms head to head. And I actually have some very critical words towards some of these platforms in some of the ways that they do. So one of the things that we really strive to have at Lending Memo is, uh, um, is to really not have any sort of bias towards any of these companies. I love peer-to-peer lending. I don't have as much love for Lending Club and Prosper. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I love my commitments. The thing that I am really focused on is the asset class as a whole. And insofar as peer-to-peer lending, as or insofar as Lending Club and Prosper support the asset class, I'm on their side. But when they do things like, you know, for instance, le- right now Prosper is struggling to have more than 200 loans in their platform at a time for normal unaccredited investors. Mm-hmm. That, there's a ding in my book, and and I talk plainly about that in in an affiliate article that that would link to them. So. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is the uh, this the as you're probably well aware of when you're blogging and writing about these companies online and have an affiliate relationship with them. It's really crucial, and I think Google picks up on that, and people pick up on that as well. Is is you know how can you reduce bias while still remaining authoritative on the topics you're writing about? And I, I actually feel we're doing a really good job of that at Lending Memo. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the, the key thing I would say is that uh, affiliates are a great way to compensate people. Uh, to compensate people that you want to compensate for making doing the he- doing the legwork of going out and finding uh finding um products and services that are going to serve the audience sure. and it, it kind of makes me laugh when i i mean that's it's no different than why and you know insurance uh, sales people uh make you know it, it's no different than why insurance people uh sell insurance and make commissions it's no different why traditionally mutual funds always paid commissions for the sale of them and it, yeah. cost, it often makes me laugh when i see people rail against the fees because i come from the formerly the financial advisor world uh and i would read people rail against the fees and the commission that I made as, as a financial advisor, and then I read them. You know, I look and I see just the whole link of set of of affiliate commissions, commission links, and right. um, so my point is just simply that people should make sure that on this topic that they are doing their research and that they are yeah. fully aware of the risks of being a lender and the risks of being a borrower. And as yeah. long as they've done that. Then, then it's it's no problem in the world for an affiliate relationship to exist. That's but right. just make sure that they do the research. And it looks like that's you've right. you've probably positioned yourself as one of the leaders in this in this little niche, and that's awesome. And if you have a favorite financial blogger, just recognize that just because your financial blogger wrote one article saying about the you know writing about the returns they've experienced on the ten thousand dollars they invested in their uh, lending club. That's totally cool. It could just be an interesting experiment, but yep. don't base all of your decisions off of that article. That's right. I mean, at the end of the day, this is an investment and it involves risk. And so if you're going to get into it, just like any investment, you need to be aware of those risks. And, uh, you know, again, I would trust less the person who you're hearing this from and look very closely at the actual data and know that you feel comfortable with what's happening. Right. Um, but personally, on on my... You know, I didn't start this or do this for any sort of profit incentive. I do this because I love peer-to-peer lending. Right. I think this is an incredible investment. It's a beautiful connection organically of people to people, capital flowing between people from people who need it to people who want it. 
or who have it to lend. It, it, it's it's uh it's as as uh, Scott Sanborn of Lending Club has said. It's it's just lubricating the average the average um, relation uh, monetary relationship between people who are just walking around our country today. So right. it, it's an incredible thing that's happening. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. awesome. Really it's awesome. is. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's it, it, it's another aspect to the same awesomeness as what is happening with Kickstarter and FundMe and some of these these other Indiegogo because sure. it's allowing people to have access. It's breaking down the barriers. Is that in the past, if you needed money, you had to go into your banker on your knees, hat in hand, and grovel on the floor for money, or you had right. to go ask your dad or your mom or your rich Uncle Joe uh, or rich aunt, you know, Aunt May. And so the cool thing is, is that it's just de- destroying the barriers between people. Right. And it is an, am- I think it's going to be an amazing, I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I- I'm so yeah. excited about what the markets that are opening up with all of these things. It's exciting. Well, what I want you to do is to go and put, you know, the minimum investments, probably about five grand. Mm-hmm. I want, I would love for you to put five grand in the Lenin Club or Prosper and, and uh, come talk to me in 10 months or whatever and tell me. Simon, I can't believe I was, you know, having this gut uneasiness about this thing. And I'm just going to tell lots of people to start investing. Well. <laughs> because I understand, you know, it's it, it, especially if you've never done this, it's going to feel a little awkward at first because you're just like, what am I doing? I'm just lending to strangers of the Internet. Right. <laughs> the but pro- I'm telling you, 10 months later, you're going to sit you're sitting here going, why in the world haven't I been doing this for years? This is just a no-brainer. <laughs> you're partly right and you're partly wrong because the problem is that I'm so skeptical that 10 months from now I'd be still saying, mm, think this yeah. market could fall apart. Well, it's okay, so good. Okay, is this, is this going to fall apart, this market? So it'd be about 35 years by the time you would get that out of me. Sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. But, but, but in my mind, a year is not going to – it's – it's, and I think it – I it's certainly not a scam, but it's certainly not without risk is, is what I was saying is that it's certainly it's, it's a new market. And anytime a new market is developed, there will be hiccups and there will be problems. And everyone who's involved in that market now should be aware of that. And then it'll get shaken out. So whether that's with, uh, whether that's with additional regulation, whether that's with just with the, the market will develop just prosper 1.0 prosper 2.0 you can expect right. prosper 9.0 you know over the coming years as things get worked out as new competitors come in but it is exciting to be on the ground floor of a new market and that's um, right. that's awesome i'm going to be keeping a close eye on your content and on your site great anything i missed that you want to mention uh no i i mean i just i just think this is an exciting thing and i i uh would love for people to get involved and and uh and start talking about this and and start uh talking about this on a on a more uh large scale level i think this is uh the future of of one of the ways that our country is going to interact with its finances and i'm just eager for that to happen yeah so. plug your books and your courses and your site real quick and let us know what people can find when they go there uh so i mean basically Lending Memo is here to help you get started and get educated. So I, I'm, I, I don't touch anyone's money. I'm not an RIA. Uh, but what I do very well and what we do very well at Lending Memo is we just help people understand what is this thing and how what, what are the details involved in this. So, you know, come on the site, open up a free account, watch the videos, download some ebooks, feel comfortable with this thing and try it out. And if you don't like it, no big deal. Um, but I'm thinking that you're going to love peer-to-peer lending and, and uh, it's a great thing to do. So Awesome. Simon, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. 
For me, I feel like I have a little bit of a better understanding of the market. Uh, you know, frankly, I really, like I said in the beginning, I've not been involved much in peer-to-peer lending. So it's a good overview, and I'm going to keep watching it. I'm excited about some of the changes that are coming, and I'm going to keep a, a close eye on the market as it develops. And now that the institutions are getting involved, though, uh, it's kind of the wild, wild It's not quite the wild, wild west. That's not an accurate analogy, but it's... It'll be things will be shaking out, so I will be watching it with interest as time goes on. I'll be watching uh, Simon's site, Lending Memo. Uh, go over there, check out some of the resources and information that he has. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that. Real quick, as we're closing out, though, just one encouragement for you: if you are a borrower, if you have any kind of uh, debt, consider and take a take a keep a close eye on some of your debt and keep a close eye on how it's structured and and consider if lending through a peer to peer loan. Borrowing money through peer-to-peer loan might improve your situation. Uh, I can think of a number of scenarios where it really could, if you could get a lower interest rate. You know, even if it were something like, I don't know, uh, everything like the example that I said about Lowe's credit card, you know, refinancing credit card debt, business debt to start a business, if you need to do that. Uh, I mean, I, I could even imagine, I don't know what they're how much of a loan you can take out over there, but I could imagine if you owe 40,000 bucks on your house and, but you want to drop your homeowner's insurance because you have enough other assets that it wouldn't be catastrophic if you dropped your homeowner's insurance, something like that. Maybe then you could switch out and, and refinance a mortgage uh, away from a mortgage so that you could, uh, and then into a lending, I don't know, a peer to peer loan, something like that. Uh, probably usually not a good idea for most people to drop their homeowner's insurance really isn't but there are certainly times and places where it, where it does work so consider always look for a way to get uh, lower cost debt on with better terms and you're going to be in good shape so check out lending club check out prosper check out lending memo simon's site and hopefully that could be a good resource for you have a great wednesday everybody Thank you for listening to today's show. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. Your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. This show is not, and is not intended, to be any form of financial advice. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. Hold them accountable for your results. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please come by the show page and comment so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here.